this passage in John about John is is very humanizing. It, it's it's a very human account of his encounter with Christ. This is chapter, verse, and season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Felicity Harley McGowan, research associate and lecturer, and Bruce Gordon, Titus Street Professor of Ecclesiastical History. They're discussing John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42, which is appointed for the second Sunday after the Epiphany in year A. Here's the text. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the chosen one. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas which is translated Peter. I think one of the striking things about this passage is that the gospel gives us actually the perspective of John. In a way, he's some, something of his own story that he tells us here. And he, he says some remarkable things, such as he, it's clear he, he, he doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't, he, we even get the impression that he wouldn't recognize him unless the Spirit uh, tells him who he is. We, we know the story of earlier of Jesus and, and John in the womb and, and the jumping and, and the, the joy, but clearly he recognized him at that point. But uh, here he says he, he's, he's going to have to let the Spirit tell him who Jesus is. Also, it's, it's striking that he, he speaks of his own baptism as with water. We don't have any language of, of the Spirit. So, to my mind, we're left wondering, what is it that he's actually doing? What, what is it that uh, 
he's baptizing people with and, and for. We don't have that here, but we do have John narrating something of his own story. Yes, it's interesting. John does emerge as this important figure in and of his own right, but there's a almost a distance in terms of he's describing this this beautiful image with which we're so familiar from such a range of different paintings or stained glass windows. The imagery is something we're all familiar with of, of the dove and from representations of, of Christ's own baptism by John, but he's not describing, I baptised him in this way and no. this is how the water flowed no. and the no. dove hovered and it was no. beautiful. No. Uh, there's there's a an exquisite clarity and understatement about something with which I think we feel the imagery is very colourful and redolent in, in our mind and then you, you have this passage that, almost strips things down as many of the of the new testament writers do there's this almost prosaic element this happened this happened and yet he comes out and says this is the son of god there's this emphatic statement that i don't know seems it's quite striking to me in comparison to this other almost hands off element uh within within the action which we often at least in my, in my mind, we th- we think of John as this very righteous character. He denounces the Pharisees and refers to them as serpents, and and we have this image of the man who eats locusts and dresses right. like a bit of a wild man. And and I think we can all conjure up images of him. And and often in paintings, as you refer to, you know, John is represented as pointing to. To Christ, this, this sense of this very self-confident figure, this somewhat wild uh, or even feral figure who who comes out of the desert and and baptizes and denounces the religious hierarchy. Yet, to my mind, this this passage in John about John is is very humanizing. He seems much less strident. He seems much less wild it, it's it's a very human account of his encounter with christ he doesn't entirely know what's what's going to happen and yet there is this remarkable moment that the spirit will reveal to him what what it is he doesn't exactly know what he's going to do in when he encounters christ or at least in the story we there's no set sense of of how this is going to unfold in here, so we're we're kind of with John. It's like, it seems to me almost a degree of anticipation. What's what's going to happen? That's right. There, and he's kind of open to. He talks about the one who sent him. We're not even quite clear who that that is. We assume it's God, but we we're not really. We we told or the Spirit. We hear that the Spirit will reveal who this this person is to him. But it's you know it, there's there's a kind of excitement, open endedness to the way it's told here in John's gospel, you know, what's going to happen? That's right. It's a very pregnant moment in a sense. We often connect baptism with these actions. This happens and this happens. But this moment of revelation, seeing baptism as the revelation and connecting this event that that may have prosaic elements for us. But but here, as you said, there's this moment of pregnancy. I, I can't 
I'm struggling to find other words that we're an anticipating that he's pointing he's pointing to something, but he's not explaining, you know, behold, the Lamb of God, no. but he doesn't say who the Lamb of God no. is. No. Um, so no. there's almost a pointing of us as 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 the the listeners or the recipients of these words to consider something something or enabling us to consider a, a bigger thing beyond mm-hmm. beyond the the moment of, of baptism. Yes. And we're kind of walking with John as as this story unfolds. That's yeah, right. We're, we're sort of with him with this. And, but then he, there is this remarkable moment where he declares the Lamb of God. And where does that come from? You know, what what, what does that mean? You know, it's, it's language that we've used well, you know, forever, and as you know better than me, endlessly portrayed in art and and all sorts of in poetry. We speak of the Lamb of God; it's very cru- you know crucial in liturgies of of worship. But uh, he says this, but you know, is is that evident to the people what that means? What what is what does it mean to be the the Lamb of God? You know, I'm sure it's a very powerful image in a, in a largely rural. Mm. agrarian culture but what does it mean for us what does it mean to say jesus is the lamb of god that's right it obviously has the strong uh, connotations with you know exodus and passover but is that what's meant here and I love that he places that there. Behold the Lamb of God. And then, uh, as you say, these images, is it apocalyptic? Is it about suffering? Is it about the Paschal Lamb? And then we go straight into the, you know, two disciples hear Jesus speak and then they follow him. Yes. That's yes. it. I, I love <laughs> or, that moment in you know, it when, when, when suddenly we switch to these, these two disciples and they, they obviously sort of, bump into Jesus and get his attention. He turns around and says, what do you want? <laughs> and I, you know, I think I would, you know, knowing who Jesus was, I'd feel very unnerved if he simply turned to me and said, what do you want? And, but it's, but then they get to spend the afternoon with him, but we're not told what they did. And w- wouldn't you love to know how they spent the afternoon exactly. with Jesus? What conversations there must have been. Exactly. That's in many of these passages, those hours you know, there might be details about a moment, but then there are these hours that pass between the protagonists that we know we can only imagine. Beautiful part of the passage. Yes. I think the, the the wonderful ending here with, with Andrew and, and, and Simon is that we start with John and there's this slight uncertainty of what's going to happen. And yet at the end of the passage, we, we have Andrew and, and, and Simon saying, uh, this is the Messiah. And Jesus turns and says the famous words to, to who Peter will be. Right. So there's a lot of identifying in the in the in this passage. There is, and, and yet this the apostles are still they're still reaching an understanding of who Jesus is. Um, there's there's the stone, but there's still there's still a long way to go for the revelation to be completely revealed. Thanks for listening. And thank you so much, Professors Harley and Gordon, for your insight on John. Remember to rate and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and visit our website, galebiblestudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddard, 
and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.